uh, nice sunny day and don't worry we'll be finished in time for you to get the barbecue on for the tennis uh, later on. Uh, but isn't it it's just lovely to see the sunshine after the week or so we've had, isn't it great? Um, just a couple of uh, announcements before we begin. Um, the prayer meeting is uh, meeting, but it's going to start meeting on a Thursday night uh, from this week. It's still in the vestry, Mark, is that correct? Yeah. yeah. So the prayer meeting in the vestry, 7 o'clock on Thursday, and you're all welcome to come uh, and join that time of prayer for church and community. Um, I've been asked just to remind you that the, the road between the church and I think Valhelvey is being closed for a spell from uh, tomorrow. It's the 11th, isn't that right, Marjorie? Yes. Uh -huh. So just to, be, just to be aware of that, if you're making your way between uh, here in Valhelvey, here in, in Potterton, uh, just be mindful that that's happening. And then just to say that next week um, we'll be, we're, over the summer we're going to continue to have our um, we call them all age worship, whether we should be calling them cafe worship, I'm not sure. Uh, but we're going to be meeting across in the hall uh, next Sunday, as we have been doing on the third Sunday of the month. But just to make you aware of that. Now those are all our announcements, so let's begin our worship in the words of hymn number 510. Jesus calls us here to meet him, and we'll sing verses 1 through to 3.
Let's come before God in prayer now. Let us pray. God, whose love knows no bounds, in our gathering here, we celebrate that all are welcome. In your economy, none are excluded or beyond the reach of your love. May we know ourselves to be part of that great company of saints, past and present, continually held by your love and grace. Lord, open our eyes to a new awareness of how we place conditions on love, yours and ours. Forgive us and liberate us from the thinking that love must be earned and can't simply be given freely. Set us free to confound expectations, to share your love freely without reserve, without condition, as those who know the grace of your love and forgiveness. So may our worship here reflect the light of your love, and may our praise reach beyond this place and make a difference in all our daily living. We ask all these things in the name of Christ, saying together in his name, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our reading this morning is taken from Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 10, and reading verses 25 through to 37. And Pat Forbes is going to read for this. The parable of the Good Samaritan. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with your mind and your neighbour as yourself. And he said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. 
But a Samaritan, while travelling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, The one who showed mercy. Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. Thanks, Pat. Let's take a moment to still our hearts and minds in prayer. Your word, Lord, says to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. And in giving up this time, I guess this is part of our sacrifice to you, our offering of thanks for all that you are and all that you have done for us. So we cordoned off this time to make it special, to be here together, and to attend to your word in the presence of your spirit. So Lord, as we reflect on this story and on its meaning, but also on its deeper meaning, we ask that you would speak to our hearts and minds through your spirit today and bring us your word for our lives because we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, here we go again. My guess is that's probably what you were thinking when you realised that today's reading is one of the best known of all, the parable of the Good Samaritan. That's certainly what I thought when I realised that this was the set reading for this Sunday. Because when you've preached on the same story five or six times over the course of your ministry, and you've heard it many more times than that, what is left to say other than all the stuff that you've already said before? If you've been paying attention over the years, you will know the background to this story now as well as I do. The dangers of that dodgy road between Jerusalem and Jericho. The well-documented hatred that Jews and Samaritans had for one another in those days. The irony in the story that it's the religious people, the ones supposed to be in tune with God, who end up not helping. And it's the outsider, the Samaritan, who's the hero of the story going out of his way to take care of this Jewish stranger. And up and down the country, today, that's where the telling of this story will be going. And that's not a bad thing. In a world where people are polarising more than ever around Brexit and vaccinations and independence and Roe versus Wade and science versus religion, and trans rights versus women's rights. It's always good to hear a story that reminds us of our Christian duty not to other the other. In other words, not to lazily lump people together into a group that we can choose to ignore or worse still, despise because they happen to think or behave differently from us. 
Jesus doesn't let us get away with that. And that's certainly part of today's story. And that moral message is always timely and there would be no harm in going there today. But for once, that's not where we're going. Because it felt like the Spirit had other priorities for us this Sunday. So a lawyer stands up to test Jesus, Luke tells us. Test doesn't sound very friendly, does it? Test sounds judgy. Although as we know by the end of the story, it's the lawyer and not Jesus who finds himself coming under scrutiny. But his opening gambit is this. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And in some ways that's a fair question. But this time, out of this guy's mouth, I found that question getting under my skin this week. What must I do to save my life? It kind of sounds like it's all about him. Is that a good way to be in the world? Is that even the right question to be asking? Wouldn't it be better to ask how the world is to be saved, Mr. Lawyer? That would at least show that you realise it's about more than just you. But I digress. Jesus has the good grace to feel the question, but he pulls an old rabbi trick out of the hat by asking him a question in return. Okay, you're a lawyer. What does the law say about this? How do you read it? And almost automatically, the lawyer rhymes off some of the Old Testament verses that form the Shema, the most significant daily prayer in the Jewish tradition. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbour as yourself. Correct, says Jesus. Textbook answer. Do this and you will live. And it would be so easy for everyone, including you and me, to move on without pausing for a moment to really hear what has just been said. So let's hear it again. How do I secure eternal life? By loving God with all my heart, all my soul, all my strength, and all my mind, and loving my neighbour as myself. It's that little word, all, that's the problem, isn't it? Is anyone here happy to say that they've reached a place where they love God with all that's in them all the time? Because if so, you should be standing here preaching next Sunday. I'm certainly not in that place. Loving God with all that we are. That, according to the Old Testament, is what we need to do to receive eternal life. But do any of us ever get there? Nope. Not even the best of us. We owe God everything, and yet every single one of us shortchanges God all the time. Just like the lawyer in today's story. He rhymes off the textbook answer, gold star for that, 
But in the, ne the very next breath, he's trying to wriggle out of his responsibilities by asking for a wee bit of that pre a precision on, on that stuff about neighbours. What does that actually mean, Jesus? Which is really a way of saying, who do I have to bother with? And who can I get away not bothering with? That's what's behind the question. And I wonder if you're hearing what's implicit in this little exchange between the lawyer and Jesus. It's the hard truth that we can't ever live up to all that God asks of us. We all fall short. And we all need help if we're going to be saved because we can't save ourselves. And that, I think, is the deeper subtext of the story of the Good Samaritan. We read this as a morality tale about the need to be kind and caring towards those who are different from us, and it's certainly that, but it's also a whole lot more. Because this is a story about you and me and our, indeed, humanity's ultimate redemption in Christ. I thought I had hit on something original when I realised that the story could be read this way and then I discovered that this was actually the main way that the story was understood in the first few centuries of the church. And early church fathers like Clement and Oregon and Ambrose all preached on it in exactly this way. They realised that the man who goes down from Jerusalem to Jericho and it's literally downhill all the way that man stands for Adam. And Adam stands for the entire human race. Adam leaves his home with God, takes matters into his own hands, makes his own decisions, and sets off on a journey, a dangerous journey, that's bound to end badly. And sure enough, he soon walks right into trouble. He's stripped, robbed, and beaten to within an inch of his life by hostile powers, by Satan, sin, death. He's left helpless by the roadside, a victim of his own poor choices. And the priest and the Levite pass by, symbols of a religion that doesn't want to get its hands dirty and is too caught up in its own concerns to see what's happening right in front of it. But the Samaritan who stands for Christ, he sees he doesn't berate the wounded man for his poor choices. He doesn't judge him and leave him to his fate. He doesn't walk on in disgust or run away in fear. Instead, he draws close. He gets down to the man's level. He gets this stranger's blood all over him as he washes and he tends his wounds and he binds them up for healing. He shows him grace. He shows him pity. And then he places him on the back of his own donkey. And he carries him to a place of recovery and safety. Staying with him for a spell before leaving with a promise to return. And to make good anything that's still outstanding in what's owed. He carries this man home. And restores him to health. At his own expense. This reading of the story is telling us that Christ has done for us what we could never do for ourselves. He has found us in our helpless, fallen state 
And through his own decisive action, out of sheer mercy and unwarranted grace, he's taken it upon himself to see humankind mended. The scriptures tell us that the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. He came to bind up the brokenhearted. He came to bring life and to rescue us from death and to be the saviour of the world. So tell me, did his work fail? Were God's plans ultimately frustrated? I don't think so. I've come to believe that Christ's work was effective and that it was effective for the entire human family and not just some. Our reformed forebears were right to insist that we are saved by grace alone. It's all of God's action. And that's the same kind of grace that we see at work in the actions of the Good Samaritan in today's story. But the reformers held that that grace only extends to a few, a very few, the elect, who were chosen by God for eternal life, leaving everyone else to their awful eternal fate of damnation. But however you dress that up theologically, and people try, isn't that a bit like God for inscrutable reasons known only to himself, plucking a few fortunate souls from the deck of the Titanic while the rest of the ship goes down with everybody else on it. Is that really good news? Is that gospel? Is that really what the scriptures teach? Well, it's not what these scriptures teach. Romans 5.18 Therefore, just as one man's trespass led to condemnation for all, so one man's act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all. For just as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. 1 Corinthians 15.22 For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Romans 11.32 For God has imprisoned all in disobedience so that he may be merciful to all. 1 Timothy 2 verse 3 God our Saviour desires everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, there is one mediator between God and humankind, Christ Jesus himself human, who gave himself up as a ransom for all. Titus 2.11 For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all. 2 Corinthians 5.19 In Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. John 1.29 Behold, said John the Baptist, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. John 12.32 Words of Jesus anticipating the cross. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. John 12.47 I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. 1 John 4.14 we have seen and do testify that the Father has sent his Son as the Saviour of the world. 2 Peter 3.9 The Lord is not slow about his promise as some think of slowness, but he is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Philippians 2 verse 9 
Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that's above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And you need to know there that the word for confess is not a confession that's wrung out of you as someone has their foot on your neck. The word confess there is the word that's used for the joyful confession that would be made by people of faith when they enter the church through baptism. It's that word. It's a joyful confession, not a forced one. Colossians 1 verse 19. But in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. 1 John 2, 2, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only ours, but also the sins of the whole world. 1 Timothy 4, verse 10, we have our hope set on the living God, who is the saviour of all people, especially of those who believe. I've been wondering for quite some time now how we can call God the saviour of all people if in the end, the ultimate end, he doesn't in fact save all people. As I've looked into these kind of scriptures, which I have to say are largely skipped over and marginalised in the Reformed tradition, and as I've looked into the teachings of the early church, the first, second, third centuries, the people who were closest to the apostles and to the story of Jesus, I'm increasingly hopeful that God does in fact save the world as he promises to. I'm coming to believe that in Christ, God picks the human race up, forgives our foolishness and sin, cleanses our wounds, binds us up and brings us home. None of which lessens the gravity of sin or the reality of judgment or the necessity for a response, but it sees God's action in the light of those things as being restorative and not merely punitive. Wine poured onto open wounds is painful, but it's also healing. Moving someone to a safe place when their body is broken can be agony, but it's necessary. God's healing of our spiritual wrongs may be very painful. It may take ages. We might even resist it, not being in our right minds. But in the end, if God wills it, and if those passages don't suggest that, I don't know what they suggest. If God wills it, it's going to happen. Increasingly, I'm with the early church on this one. And I'm also with Karl Barth, the greatest reformed theologian of the last few centuries, who said, I don't believe in universalism. Universalism is the idea that all roads lead to God and it doesn't matter if which path you take or Jesus is just one amongst many. I don't believe in that, said Barth. But I do believe in Jesus Christ, the reconciler of all. My hope for humankind is based solely on Jesus and on his work alone. But I am growing into the conviction that the breadth of that work is far greater than we have ever dared to imagine.
for me, that makes it genuinely good news. I've often wondered about that quotation from 1 Timothy that I read a moment or two ago. That God is the saviour of all people, especially of those who believe. Why especially? Well, I think I'm beginning to understand that now. It's because those who believe get to live in the light of the good news now. Get to live in fellowship and friendship and peace with God now. Get to live without fearing death or condemnation now. So having faith matters. Not because it earns our salvation. That's already gifted to us in Christ. Faith matters because it's faith. Faith is the way that we connect to that gift. And begin to enjoy that gift on this side of eternity. It's faith in that kind of a God that brings us the peace and the reassurance and the strength that we need for our living. And the wonder and the joy of knowing a God who, as the Apostle John tells us, is pure, unadulterated light and love. And in whom there is no shadow of darkness at all. And folks, if there is a, even a part of your image of God that you fear to even look at because it's dark or threatening, you need to reconsider. You need to bring that into the light and examine it for what it is. Because in our God, there is no darkness. The scriptures tell us in many places that God's mercy endures not for a season or even for an age, but forever. And I believe those same scriptures show that in the life, death, resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ, God is gathering up his whole human family and restoring us to the wholeness that we were always made for. Not because of any merit on our part, but simply because he chooses to show us amazing grace. Amazing Grace is the name of the next hymn that we're going to sing together.
Daphne McWilliams is going to lead us now in our prayers for others. Let us pray. Father in heaven, you sent your Son to be the Saviour of all people. And we who are blessed with knowing your goodness come to you in faith with our prayers for others. We pray for those caught up in conflicts both near and far, for refugees fleeing the Ukraine with more, little more than the clothes on their back and fear in their hearts. Some have found their way to our communities here in the Northeast. Help us all to welcome them with kindness and generosity to soften the hurt of fleeing their homes and homeland, not knowing when they will be able to return. We pray that all leaders throughout the world find the compassion and the wisdom needed to make decisions for the good of all the people they lead and not their own self-promotion. At a time when the differences between factions seem to be unresolvable, help them to listen to wise words and good advice Ignore the hyperbole on and be reminded that to lead is to serve, so they can truly build societies based on community and tolerance and not on exclusion. Sustain all of us, Lord, when we despair for this world and its people. You give us hope. You are good through and through and work always for the salvation of all your people. Lord, we pray for all those caught up in the fallout from family disagreements and disputes. May we all hold back when unkind thoughts come to mind and begin to form as words on our lips. Help us all who are blessed to know of your goodness firsthand, to show by example and to encourage consideration for others, self-reliance, curiosity and independence in our young people so that they may grow in confidence in their own self-worth as valued members of society, equipped to build a future built on love by your grace. Lord, there are so many facing challenges here in our own community. We pray for those trying to cope with the searing pain of bereavement and loss, sometimes faded by time, but ever present in the loneliness of a life changed forever. May they draw comfort and strength from your presence and the knowledge that you know and understand their grief. We pray for those facing the infirmity of old age and those who care for them. Give them strength, Lord, and those little bubbles of joy that come from a moment even of joy spent sharing a smile or laughter, building memories that will last. We pray for those facing illness or disability and struggling with the prospect of bad news about their health. In all the worry, fear and sadness about a life changed forever, help them to find comfort in your faithful presence every step of the way on this new and scary path. We pray for our church family. As we embark upon a summer with time for well-earned rest, relaxation and recovery, we pray for our minister Paul and his family and for all those who have served your church here in Belhelvi, building your kingdom in this small community. Lord, may we all leave this place today reminded that your love knows no bounds for us, your creatures. 
you sent us your son Jesus Christ to stoop down to our level, bind our wounds, and bring us all healing at his expense. In his name, hear these and all our prayers. Amen. Thank you, Daphne. Close our worship this morning in the words of hymn number 187. There's a wideness in God's mercy. Son of the Holy Spirit be with you all, now and forevermore.